Welcome to the sermon podcast of Grace Presbyterian Church. For more information about our church, please visit our website, gracechurchlaunceston.com. Do you have a passion for something? Uh, I know that you do. Maybe it's cooking uh, and you like trying out new recipes. Maybe the kids here have a passion for Lego and building Lego sets. Maybe you really love free-form building, um, or maybe you love following the instructions. Maybe you love reading. I saw on Facebook last week that an acquaintance of mine had read 150 books in 2023. That's the most I've ever seen someone read in one year. Uh, Maybe you're passionate about something, you just, you know, when you're passionate about something, you just do it, don't you? Uh, You might be passionate about those sorts of things. You might have a particular focus in your life, a a hobby or something like that. Maybe you have a passion for nothing. Uh, But but what is a tragedy? What a a tragedy is when someone loses their passion for the Lord Jesus. You know, when you you start off as a Christian, you're often really quite um, zealous for the things of God. When you first believe in Jesus, your eyes are opened and it's amazing and it's wonderful and you just want to know more and more and read more and know more about Jesus. But sometimes, slowly, things can get in the way. Instead of everything being all about Jesus and his kingdom, um, Jesus can become someone who serves us. He gives us a community to be involved in or he's just here to help, help me. And then something can go wrong, like you might lose your job or you might go through some troubles um, with a sickness or in a relationship and things become hard, life becomes hard or life can go too well for you. I've seen that as well. Sometimes something comes along that you become more passionate about than the gospel and it takes up your time and your thoughts and the result can be either way, things are too hard or too good, um, that you slowly, the result can be that you slowly drift away from Christ and the church. And it's a sad and dangerous situation to be in. And it's, um, as I was thinking about this, it's a situation that the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation found itself in, I, I believe. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one of the other. Because, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. As, to be lukewarm as a Christian, that's a, a dangerous place to be. And so Psalm 132 uh, speaks into this situation, to this context, and it speaks here about having a passion and zeal for God. Um, the psalm writer wrote this this psalm to the people of Israel, he knew that time and again in the history of Israel, they had drifted, they had forgotten God. These these are songs, these psalms, the songs of sense, they were originally, um, or at least collected to be sung by pilgrims who travelled towards Jerusalem to prepare their hearts as they came to worship in the temple. Um, They're going up to Jerusalem, they're travelling toward Jerusalem to worship God. So they're near the end of the journey now, They're probably in Jerusalem uh, as they're singing this song and they think back to Israel's history as they're there in Jerusalem. They think back to their history, to another pilgrimage, to another pilgrimage, the pilgrimage of King David and the time he brought the Ark of the Covenant to the city, to Mount Zion. 
Uh, the psalm writer is highlighting David, King David's passion for the worship of God. And David, he wanted to see the throne, I mean, the ark enthroned in Zion. He wanted, to, he wanted it as the central place of worship in Jerusalem. And here in this psalm, we see David's commitment, his zeal for the glory of God. We see his great desire for God to be at the centre of the life and worship of not only his own life, but of the whole nation. And here in this uh, psalm, we see the words here spurring us on to have that same zeal and passion for God. So I've got a couple of points today. Um, David's commitment, point one, uh, to God's worship, and point two, uh, in the second half, God's commitment to Zion in his promises. That's the second point. God's commitment, because, because Psalm 132 isn't just about David's commitment, it's about God's commitment to his covenant, his word, his promises. And that's when we, and when we see that, that's when we see and recognise his commitment to us. It's, that's that's what will fuel our own passion for God's glory and worship. So, point one, the first section of this psalm is about David and his passion for God's worship. So, verse one, um, the psalmist prays, Lord, remember David and all his self-denial. Uh, remember David. Remember what David's gone through. Remember his commitments. What has David done? Well, verses 2 and five, two to 5 say that. David swore an oath to the Lord to not rest. He won't rest. Verse 5 says, Till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. King David was determined to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. He had a great passion that God would be worshipped and the Ark of the Covenant central to that. The it, um, it's the it in verse 6. Um, the Ark is the it. It's also mentioned in verse 8. So verses 2 to 5, David's not going to rest until he finds a place for the Ark. So what is the Ark? That's a good question, isn't it? Um, do the kids, you've got a, a picture of the Ark on your, on your drawing sheet there, if you have a look there. Um, well, God told Moses in the book of Exodus that to have this ark built, um, it was an elaborately designed box and covered in gold, uh, about 80 centimetres wide and high. The, uh, in the ark, what was in the ark? Can anyone tell me what was in the ark? Kids, you remember? Ten Commandments, that's right. The tablets that were written, the Ten Commandments, were in the ark, as well as manna, a pot of manna and Aaron's rod, which he um, carried around. And the lid was called the mercy seat. And um, there's these creatures on the seat as well. And that, this, this is connected to the idea of atonement for sin. And so for Israel, this was more than just an artifact or relic from the past. This is the centre of their worship. God had told them to build this ark. Uh, why? Because the ark was a symbol of God's presence with them. Exodus 25, God says that he would meet with them there. It was, if you like, the throne of God. The seat of his rule among his people was their God and their king. And the ark was the place where the sacrifices were uh, centred around. The sacrifice was sin. Sacrifices were made every day in Israel's life, but there was this one sacrifice every year on the Day of Atonement and the high priest would bring the blood of that sacrifice and sprinkle it over the ark on the mercy seat. 
and which is, by the way, where the idea of atonement comes from in the Bible, uh, propitiation. Um, Romans 3.25 talks about Jesus as this kind of thing, as a sacrifice uh, of atonement for our sins. And so, you see, the ark is the symbol of God's rule and his love for his people. And David knows this. That's why he um, has this passion for the ark here, because he has a passion for God and his worship. He has a passion that the ark would come to Jerusalem so they might worship God. But the problem was, the problem was they neglected it. They forgot the ark. Um, you, you know, over many years, uh, the people of Israel had drifted. They had drifted and, and slowly uh, went, gone away from God, but they'd come back, they'd be brought back to God in repentance, but they'd drift away again. And in what was unfathomable, the ark, just years before this moment um, that is, is spoken about here, what was unfathomable was the ark had been captured by the Philistines, their enemies. The Philistines had, had taken their, the ark, this, this, this object, they'd taken it to the temple of Dagon, the false god. And while in the temple of Dagon, the, the, does anyone know this story, the statue? It's amazing, the great statue and the idol of Dagon falls flat on its face. It comes crashing down and a great judgment comes upon the Philistines. So they, what do they want? The Philistines don't want the ark anymore, do they? They want, to, they want to get rid of it as quickly as possible. The Israelites... But the problem was, even while it was returned to Israel, the ark, it, it just gets neglected, really. The Israelites store it in the equivalent of someone's shed in the back paddock. This symbol of God's presence with His people where they'd meet with God, God's God's rule, this, this seat of God's rule, the very way God had set up for uh, people's sins to be forgiven through sacrifices. Uh, the Bible says for 20 years it was almost forgotten. It was forgotten. It was relegated to sit there in the paddock or in someone's shed like a rusty piece of farm equipment. And David says in the time of King Saul, 1 Chronicles 13, that we neglected it. We neglected it in the days of Saul. And it's just there at kiriath Jiriam, uh, which is alluded to in verse 6 of the psalm, with these place names. It's just sitting there. And it can be like that, can't it? We can neglect God. We can ne neglect the worship of God. Uh, but the thing was, back uh, then, they didn't really even notice. They didn't really even mind. And we need to remember this as a church, I think. As a church and... If you think about churches or denominations or Christian organisations, uh, we can keep some allegiance to Christ and the Gospel. Jesus' name might be on the signage. Jesus' name or God might be mentioned in the constitution of an organisation. But God can be neglected. The worship of God might not have the central place where it should be. It might not be on the agenda at all. That's what it was like. Uh, that's the context in which David is, has this passion for the ark here. They left the centre of all that, how God was to be worshipped. They left that in a shed, basically. They neglected it. And when that happens, people will not re really often mind at all. 
And so this psalm is written into this context. The people have a, a sad history. People had lost their passion for the worship of God. And so what, what does it say, verse 1? Remember David. Remember David. Remember his passion for the worship of God, that he will not sleep or slumber until he finds a place for the Lord. And it's calling us to have that very same longing for God. Verse 6 says, We heard it in Ephrathah. We came upon it in the fields of Jair. Let us go to the, his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool, saying, Arise, Lord, come to your resting place, you and your ark of your might. May your priests be clothed with your righteousness. May your faithful people sing for joy. Now, we might be a long way from the fields of Jair or, and Jerusalem even, but do we have a passion for God's worship? This is a very relevant question for everyone. And it reminds us about what is the most crucial issue of our day. In fact, any day, that is the worship of God. The question's always been, what will we worship? You know, many people want to find a purpose in life. People will spend all sorts of money on, on pursuing the next experience or something that will give them a purpose, a project, a reason to exist. Others will say you need to look within yourself to find meaning and purpose in life. But the scriptures say, this psalm says, you don't need to look though into those places out there or within for the reason why we're here. We are here to worship the Lord. That is to be our greatest passion. God and his worship. God gave us breath so we might glorify him. Worship was neglected then before David, but David brought it back to the front and centre. Do we have that passion for God's worship? As Christians, we, we uh, get the benefit, the blessing of reading this psalm as Christians on the, on the other side of the birth of Christ. We see Jesus as the person in, in whom the Ark of the Covenant pointed towards. Christ is the very presence of God himself, the great sacrifice for sin, the place of mercy, the place of forgiveness and atonement. Do we have a zeal for God's worship because of Jesus? The psalm writer, verse 7, calls the people to worship. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. This is the reason, by the way, we, call, we, we start a service with a call to worship. God has to call us to worship. Why do we need God to call us to worship? It's because what, it's, we need to be called to worship, don't we? We need to be told, it's time to worship God now. It's time to worship me. Why do we need that? Because we're sinners, we're, we're distracted, we, we get, get to church maybe a little bit irritated or just worn out after a long week. God needs to stop us in our tracks to say, it's time to worship me. We're called to worship through the Lord Jesus, who paying for our sins at the cross has brought us back to God. And, that's, and now is that time to meet with God in a particularly special way. We're here to meet with God. That's why we gather, and that's what the psalm is, is urging us towards. The book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 20, 25 says, we're not to neglect meeting together. And that word there, meeting together, is the same word used for formal gathering to worship God. So church, it's not merely a bunch of friends sitting around talking about God. It's a moment where we can meet in Christ and delight in God's presence and God is present with us by his Holy Spirit. That's the prayer of verse 8. Arise, Lord, and come to your resting place. 
you and the ark of your might. The psalm writer is asking God to be present, to be present as they come towards Jerusalem to worship. The Apostle Paul uh, speaks about God's presence in worship. 1 Corinthians 14, 24 says, But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. The unbeliever there worships God, falls on his face and worships God. Why? Because he finds God present as Christians gather. He finds God present because he finds God speaking. He hears God's word to his people. And so what a great reason and to delight and desire to worship God. God is present. He's speaking. You know, as we read the word of God through the preaching, through our prayers, through the Lord's Supper, it's God here. He's being heard. He's with us. And the psalm writer invites God's people not to just go through the motions, but to have joy in their hearts because to be in his presence is a reason for joy. So verse 10 onwards, the second point, there's a change in focus of the psalm. You might have noticed that there. The psalm's focus moves from David's passion for the worship of God and his desire for the ark to go to Jerusalem, it changes to God's commitment, the Lord's commitment to his promises to David. The second point today is God's commitment to his promises. The psalm writer prays, verse 10, and he echoes a prayer similar to verse 1. He says, For the sake of your servant David, do not reject your anointed one. What's the anointed one? Well, it's the king in this context, the king of Israel. The king was only there because of God's promise to David. And if you look down at verses 11 to 12, it speaks of God's commitment. It says, The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath he will not revoke. One of your own descendants I will place on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and the statutes I teach them, then their sons will will sit on your throne forever and ever. This is the the covenant to David, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Um, David had expressed a desire to, to the prophet Nathan to build the temple in Jerusalem. David says, here I am living in this palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. That's what David said to Nathan. And the response comes from God um, through the prophet to David. David, you're not the one who's going to build a house, a temple. No, I'm going to build you a house. It's your son who is going to build the temple. And God makes a covenant to establish David's house, David's line and kingdom. That's what the second part of the psalm is about. And I wonder if you noticed how the prayers of the first half of the psalm are reflected in the second half. Compare the prayer of verse 8 and what it says in verse 14. Arise, Lord, and come to your resting place, you and your ark of your might. In verse 14, this is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. Verse 9, may your priests be clothed with your righteousness. May your faithful people sing for joy. And verse 16, the Lord promises, I will clothe her priests with salvation and her faithful people will sing for joy. Verse 10, a prayer that God will not reject his anointed one. Verse 17, 
Here I'll make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but his head will be adorned with a radiant crown. You see what's going on here? There's the prayer at the first part of the psalm. The psalm writer's praying to God, calling on God to remember David's passion for worship because they know that God is committed to bless David. God has committed himself to David. God has made a covenant, a promise, a solemn agreement with David. So they pray and ask God to keep his commitment. And God says, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. God will establish David's kingdom. God's king will be crowned and reigning. All of the king's enemies will be defeated and the world, you see, it's a universal promise here, the world full of joy and plenty and peace as it's meant to be. And I think we need to think about Jesus here. The psalm leads us to the Lord Jesus. For what God promised David, God's commitment to David finds its fulfilment in Christ. What God promised David back then in what the psalm hopes for is is realised in the Lord Jesus. Uh, um, Verse 17, it says, I'll make a horn grow for David. Now, that's an interesting thing, but in in those days, a horn was a symbol of strength and and power and victory. Uh, God promises here a strong king, a strong and victorious king to be sitting on the throne. And that king's Jesus. He's the son of David. That's Jesus, a direct descendant of David. Jesus is the one who shows a much greater passion for the glory of God than David or anyone else ever could. And all that the Ark of the Covenant symbolised is realised in Christ as well. He's the atonement for our sins. He's the very presence of God, Emmanuel, God with us. In terms of uh, verse 15 and 16, Jesus is the one who satisfies the poor with bread from heaven. He's the bread of life, the one who brings joy and satisfaction to our souls. Christ is the one, as God promised David, he's the one who'll sit on the throne, the throne forever. Vanquished enemies, his head adorned with a radiant crown and his rule will bring people immeasurable joy and salvation Friends, it's when we forget this, when we forget what God has promised. It's when we ignore God's great commitment to us. It's then that we forget all of God's promises are answered in the Lord Jesus. It's then that we lose our passion for Him. It's when we forget the Lord and neglect Him. And all that he's done for us in Christ, it's then that we live like God is only here to meet our needs. God becomes someone who fixes up our problems. And he's not seen in terms of this psalm as the mighty one of Jacob. The one who has infinite love and has sworn an oath to David. The one who is infinitely faithful to his word. The one who has made great commitments to us in Christ. It's when we lose that passion for Jesus that loving others becomes a burden, that Sunday becomes inconvenient and serving Jesus seems like a chore. 
It's when we forget that we have a wonderful hope that Jesus has promised that we will dwell with him forever in the new Jerusalem in Zion. Then it's then that our commitment to him wavers. But this psalm, this psalm comes and speaks to us and calls us to remember David, to remember his passion for God's worship, a, a passion for Christ's glory. And to look at our great King Jesus, in, in whom there is all joy and hope and salvation. And so as David and the Israelites of old desired to worship God, to travel to Jerusalem, to meet with God, this psalm calls us to have that same heart for the worship of God, to see Christ and that he is for us. He's our King of kings and our Lord of lords, whose commitment to us far outweighs our passion for him. So let us be like the, the Magi and come to Jesus and bow down and worship him.